welcome, welcome. You are now tuned in to the EPB podcast. I have a very special guest here with us today. I have a professional soccer player and the college soccer guy, the guy who will give you all the advice, everything you need to get you into soccer, Mr. Zev Tablib. Did I say your name right, Zev? Yes, you did. Thank you. Welcome. I appreciate you coming. I, I'm going to tell the audience really quickly um, that I, I we, we connected on Instagram, which is, you know, you know kind of how it, people connect these days. Um, love your content. And you are like full force in, you know, working with kids to get into college, going and scouting colleges, watching players play, uh, giving advice. Um, and I want to get into all of that uh, today. But I kind of want to start with your journey and your trajectory. I know you're from California or you were born in New York and from California. What's 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 your story and how did you get into soccer? Yeah, so thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on. I've listened to many episodes. It's a real pleasure, and I think it's awesome what you're doing. So thanks for having me here. Uh, my personal story is, I was, to your point, I was born in New York. I grew up in Malibu, California, and my parents never played soccer, didn't like soccer, but I grew up wanting to just constantly chase seagulls and just moving constantly. And so I tried every other sport, and it just wasn't enough moving, and soccer was just like constant, constant attention. So I fell in love with it, and by the age of eight, I was like, I want to be a pro soccer player. That's all I want to do for the rest of my life. And I tell this funny story. I used to wear a Didier Drogba jersey every single day to school so often that the O fell off on the back of it. So it just said Dogba instead of Drogba. I mean, I was obsessed. So at, at eight years old, I dribbled a ball to school. I dribbled it on the bus. I was the soccer kid everywhere. and. Uh, that was just like it engulfed me. I figured if, if I touch the ball more than everybody else, then I'll be the best. And I fell in love with it. Uh, fast forward, the big part of my story that I think has what's trajected me to what we'll talk about later is, you know, I was playing JV soccer as a junior in high school, despite touching the ball all that time. I'm 5'6", I was, you know, 4'10 then. And I just wasn't, nobody wanted me to go pro or to play college soccer. It just wasn't a thing. And I really wanted it though, really, really badly. And so I was driving two hours to practice. My family were supportive, but you know, no one was watching. So that's when kind of everything shifted is I was like, okay, it's not just about being good and, and doing well for your team. It's about the right people seeing you at the right time. That was the first taste of it. Cause I was like, that kid's pretty good. And I played against him the other weekend and I thought I did equally of good, if not better than he did, but he's going to college and nobody's talking to me. Yeah. So. That's when the highlight really video came into play and how to really make it as best as possible, you know, consulting with experts. We had an expert help me put it together. My family are in the film industry, so we did some extra things to the video, like what we call a coach's interview, a self-interview. And then frankly, once people watched me, they were like, oh, that's a good soccer player. But it wasn't until they watched me and I couldn't get anyone to watch me. That was the difficult piece. And then JV, JV soccer my junior year, year and a half later, I had a full ride to play D1. Wow. That was like the huge transition. And that's kind of my story when I help kids play college soccer is they go, is it too late? I go, it's too late if you're not going to put in the work. Yeah, then it's too late. But if you're ready to put in the work, then it is not, it's not impossible. It's not unrealistic. And I want to help you do that. So that's kind of where that's come in. And then while I was in college at that point, people were asking me like, how'd you get to college soccer? I saw you were playing JV and I would give them tips here and there, but I was fully focused. I'm here to play pro. I'm here to play pro, nothing else. And while I was in college, I kind of the same thing occurred. It was the first time in my career though, where I was recognized by like top drawer. They're like, 100 freshmen to watch, Zev Taubli being one of those guys. So I was like, okay, 
I'm playing at Division One. I'm getting recognized. And we did really well my freshman year. We won the Horizon League. We missed out on a bid to the tournament, but like we did well. And I was not starting, but despite being on a full ride, I was not a starter for the first half of the season. They we had a reserve team at Valpo. So there was a second team and a first team. And so I was on the second team at the time. And you know, you had to balance do you stay on the second team and lose eligibility, but then you could definitely break into the first team or do you just redshirt so you don't lose eligibility. Anyways, mm. I decided that I was going to keep going and the coach was very encouraging. He was like, "Look, keep going. I, I think you're going to feature. We don't know when." And I had my first start against Ohio State which was like a big school. I went to Valpo, which is a smaller D1 school. Yeah. And we, but we were very good. Our coach had coached at Notre Dame. He had recruited good players. So it was really fun environment. We were a top 25 school while I was there. So like we did really well. During college, I was like, okay, am I going to get drafted? That's the easy way. You're really good. They pick you. And my career had never really gone like that. It wasn't like you're really good. You get picked. There's lots of good players though. But I was a six, you know, I wasn't scoring 10 goals. I wasn't dribbling past everybody. I was making good, solid passes over and over again. But it's not, uh, even to myself, to now, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's obviously an MLS player or a professional player. Yeah. So the next stage was how do you get noticed? So the same strategy that I'll encourage other people to take is USL 2 was key, was the key, as a matter of fact. Hmm. Because USL 2 is closer to the pro game in some ways than college is. Because if you go to a USL 2 team that has a pro affiliate, such as Seattle Sounders, which was the case for me, or Des Moines Menace, you can then get – they'll get to know you like an internship at a job. Say you want to work right. at Apple, you might be the best engineer, but the best way to get a job at Apple is to internship at Apple. Then they hire you because you're there. You're right in front of their faces. So what I did is every summer during the fall season, I would email – the college, co the USL two teams with my video, just like I was doing in the recruiting process. Nothing different. Go, here's who I am. I play soccer. Look, I'm really good. Can I come? And it eventually led to a tryout with the Seattle Sounders on my going into my sophomore year and going to my junior year, rather. And they, the coach, there was a hundred kids at the tryout and I showed up and he I he didn't say no to me, but he didn't say yes. He just was like, good job. And I said, hey, if I sort out my own housing, can I just come to training? Can I just be here? And he was like, no comment. So I just kept showing up every day all the time. I have this great picture of me like shaking his hand. And eventually I broke into the team and I was starting and I was getting assists. And then when college came back, there was a couple teams who had told me like, hey, maybe you'll be drafted in the deeper rounds and Seattle Sounders was one of them because I had gotten brought into their first team to train while I was at the USL 2 team which mm. wasn't because of college is what got me to the USL 2 team but you know there wasn't a direct connection really because of college it wasn't like I was killing it with a thousand goals they just knew who I was because the USL 2 saw me play some more college against you know Michigan whoever and was like oh he's good so in college, my coach was also very influential. I was sending my highlights to MLS teams throughout the season, you know, to the generic email, but I would just do my best, do my part. You couldn't really talk to an agent because you were in college at the time. Yeah. And it led to a couple combines. So I went to the Philadelphia Union MLS combine. Colorado Rapids invited me. Uh, Nashville was becoming a team at the time. And ultimately, I was not drafted. Nobody picked me. So then it was like, okay, nobody picked me, but I really, really want to go pro. It's what I really, really want. So the next stage was ID camps or 
open combines, right? That's just the same thing. So you can either go there a money grab, right? And they're not going to recruit you, which look, most kids are not going to get picked and they're going to pay some fees. But I was right. like, look, if you go to England, which when I was little, when I was 14, when I was in high school, this British coach brought me to Fulham and I went and played for Fulham's U16s when I was 14. And they said to me, look, you're, you, we think we like you, you're good, but you don't have a European passport, so we're never going to sign you, ever. And I said to them, look, if I come here every summer, will you tell me no? And they're like, we won't tell you no. So I showed up every year, every summer from 14 to 18 at wow. Fulham Academy, and I played with Emerson Heinemann, who played for Fulham at the first level, um, Tankovic, who played for AZ Alkmaar, Dembele, who played for Barcelona for a little bit. He was there when I was there. So it was like, you know, I was getting exposed to the best of the best. And one yeah. thing that really struck me, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, for a big piece of this, is, you know, what were they doing that we were not doing here? And the big thing was it was their job, okay? They were trained twice a day. They took school about sports psychology, about nutrition. You know, that their orientation is these 13 – I remember being on the bus. We were going to go play against Nottingham Forest, like their U16s. And the bus was dead silent. I mean, no one was talking because the kids knew that if they got, if they didn't perform well, they were going to get cut. And if they got cut, some kids were from, you know, third world countries. That's no more food for their families. Like right. that's what it was. And I, you know, I came from Malibu. Okay. It's as spoiled as it gets, you know, <laughs> and my parents worked hard and everything, but look, Malibu's Malibu and Barbara Streisand lives at the end of my street. So like, you know, it's a very totally different. And Valpo was also equally weird. But, you know, our family was like, you want something? No means get to work. So we went to work. And anyways, jumping back to the pro thing, I go to the open. I go during high school. I'd gone to Fulham and I thought for sure a national team coach would scout me because I'd been for Fulham. And at that time, Clint Dempsey was at Fulham, was in England yeah. and nobody else, you know, yeah. pretty much it. Demerit was there out there as well. And that was pretty much it. Johnson, Eddie Johnson was there when I was there. And and actually at the time, Dempsey gave me a ride home from training one day because I went up to him and I was like, hey, I'm an American. You know, I love you, basically. And he was like, oh, there's not very many Americans here. Where are you going? And I was like, got to walk in the train station. And he's like, I'll drive you. So it was obviously that was huge. And I thought, I'll come to America. They'll be like, this kid went to Fulham. Now you can go join the Galaxy or whoever. And nobody, nothing. Even after sending them video of me playing against Premier League Youth Academies, I still got nothing. That was like, okay, nothing, fine. What am I going to do? Not going to keel over, going to keep going. So fast forward back to the Open Combines now. <laughs> had For the pro level, I must have gone to 10 of them. And there was a bunch of different versions. There's a bunch more now, Midwest Combine, Path to Pro. There's a million of them. And I know all the companies. And on my last one, I had been hinted during the tryouts I went, because I went to 10 of them, like, hey, you're the level. We think you're the level, but we're not going to, we're saying no. And an agent found me. An agent was like, hey, I think you're the level. And the reason that was helpful was when somebody else thinks you're worth money, other people will think you're worth money. Yep. So initially I was saying like, oh, call my father. He's my agent, which was like helpful because it's better to have somebody than nobody. But once the agent was like, hey, I'm going to represent you. Now, in fairness, he was helpful to a degree. For my first contract, he was very helpful. But later on, anyways, point is I had an agent who was like, we think you're, we like you. But he wasn't like, here's a contract. He's like, go to some more open tryouts and let me know if something happens. Right. I went to the open tryouts and then I was at a Ventura County Fusion, which is in SoCal. USL2 team who also knew who I was 
and Sac Republic, amongst other teams, was there. And this is where I say soccer is super subjective. 15 minutes in, we hadn't even started the game yet. We were just doing a passing drill. The Sacramento Public coach came to me and said, we want you to come to preseason. So at that point, had he already seen video? Did he already know? So I had sent him tons of it leading up to the ID camp or the combine. But soccer is soccer subjective. You know, yeah. there's the combination of you have to be good enough. And then there's the combination of you need the right person to see you at the right time because they need your position and they just like you. And when I do yeah. college recruiting, I'm biased towards shorter players, obviously, because I got neglected. So same concept. It's a human thing. So then anyways, Sacramento brought me into preseason. And uh, preseason is just a trial, but you're with the team. I did competently, according to the coach. Um, and then I signed for Sac Republic um, a year. I was 21, a year after college. I had graduated college early, so that way I could have my degree before I got drafted. So, because I wanted to make sure I had my, my parents wanted to make sure I was, and me too, that I had my academics. So then I got signed by Sac Republic, and uh, there's a couple more stories after that, but that's how it all occurred. Man, what a trajectory. And it's crazy. That, I mean, there's, all right, so there's three things that, like, stand out immediately to me, which, uh, and, and I'm going to kind of address them one by one. Just, one is your upbringing, which kind of dispels uh, a lot of just preconceived notions, especially on what I talk about on this podcast, because a lot of this is I want to get a lot of uh, kids in underserved communities and uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds in. And there's this misconception almost that because of the pay to play system and because of how soccer, soccer is structured in America, if you're maybe a rich kid in Malibu, you've got an easy path to the pros, which listening to you just right now, it's like, Let's go ahead and dispel this now. Like even even in the the most you know uh, uh, the best circumstances, especially socioeconomically, it it is still a grind, right? I'm I'm gonna get back to that, but I'm gonna name the other things. The motivation from you, like one to just you know, where where you like where did you find this motivation to start emailing coaches and then keep emailing coaches and then keep going? Hey, can I stick around and and all of that? I'll let you answer that now because that's just crazy to me at such a young age to develop yeah, that. So to your point about where I grew up, not to say like I had food on the table, we have a nice house, my parents worked hard, but my parents are, you know, second generation. They came, their parents came here to the United States and their whole thing, my grandfather sold food on the side of the road and it's like no means get to work. That was kind of what was the thing. So it was like, hey, if you want to live in Malibu one day or if you want to whatever it might be, live your dream, which is they're in the film industry. None of them had done anything in film. They've mm. made one of the biggest you know, box office films, The Vow, it was called, which is a, a, a romantic comedy. And they, you know, they were never in the film industry and they made it happen. You know, that's what they do. Um, yeah. Funny side note, my mother's quite famous on TikTok, too, for what she does with the film industry and so to your point about where it came from it was very much like hey we believe in the impossible our parents started in romania to gary indiana to malibu so if that's possible you kicking a ball amongst some other guys that are good kicking a ball doesn't sound that difficult so my parents were naive but it helped <laughs> that concept of like hey we if we keep going we just keep going and also from my perspective and this is unique to each individual out there I had written at eight years old on a post-it note, you know, I want to play soccer to change the world like Pele at eight years old. That was wow. like, that's what I wanted to do. Now, did I anticipate, you know, being more famous through TikTok than I did from being a pro? 
not really, but the point is, is that like that, and still to this day, because I still play, it was like, hey, that's really what I want. I want to, you know, change the world through sport, like you're doing the same thing. And so the motivation really was instilled by them. Yeah. And so growing up in California, because me, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, soccer was kind of a recreational afterthought uh, from from a general sense. I I never had any thoughts, even in college, about going pro, but we'll get to that. What one? What was the level you were playing at? Because my assumption is that California is one of the highest levels. In, you know, growing up, um, and 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 then getting through that, uh, <laughs> to, you know, obviously going to Fulham and playing. What what do you think you were lacking to still be on JV teams and still be kind of uh, counted out early on? Yeah, uh, to answer your first question, up until my senior year, I was playing on what would be the equivalent of like N uh, NPL or ECNL RL, which is like okay. tier. So yeah. up until then. My senior year, I made MLS Next, but it wasn't until my senior year. And I went to trial for the MLS Next team every single year since I was in seventh grade. And I wow. was told no every single year. No, no, no. And then the way it eventually happened was I was playing for an ECNL RL team, basically, that was connected to an MLS Next team. And every day after practice, my practice, I would go watch their practice and hope that the ball would need to be passed back to them. And they would look at me, kick a ball and say, hey, why don't you come into training? And they they never did. But eventually I went to a tryout and the coach at the time, who's now the assistant coach at the Galaxy, a guy named Dan mm. Couchman, he's like, hey. I should have picked you last year. I made a mistake. I'm going to pick you this year. And that was my senior year. So I went from JV playing ECNLRL or NPL to MLS Next wow. that following year. And it was – was I a way different player to answer the second question, what I was missing? Hard for me to think I was a totally different player, like yeah. worse meaning, other than I was just in the right place finally at the right time. On the flip side, I think, you know – I this is the difficulty and this is the analogy I give which I quite like because I played in Sweden now and I've played abroad if if Barcelona Tiki Taka is way over here and America is way over here okay college soccer is like over there <laughs> but yeah. if American soccer is this Fulham you know Fulham is like here okay it's still not Spain but it's it's a lot closer so maybe like here you know youth soccer we call it jungle ball you know there's three or four passes connected in one sequence so like I'm good at soccer. So I think as the groups got better and more soccer was being played, my attributes of playing as a center mid as a six, I could get the ball way more. And I the analogy I like is if you took David Silva, wow. you know, he's a, such a good soccer player. But if you took him into jungle ball world and he touches the ball three times, you're not going to be that impressed, even though he was like the best player on Manchester City. Because right. or Foden, if you take a kid today, yes, they would be amazing, of course, no matter where they go. But if they don't get the ball, they're not going to be that amazing. And that was really, I felt, was really difficult. And luckily, I had a really, really good coach at 14. The team, the gentleman that took me to England, he was coaching this U18 national championship winning team. And they were U18, and I no club team would take me. Nobody would pick me. But he did. And he had this 18-year-old. I was 13, playing with the 18-year-old. I'd go train with them. And he was the only one who would, like, take me on their team. And they played really good soccer. And I got a lot better through that getting exposed to older kids young so to the main thing is what was the biggest difference timing i was in the right place at the right time finally and then the other piece of it was the technical part that's the why i love soccer traditionally like basketball football you know if if even if you have if you have amazing iq it goes a long way but in soccer like if you use momentum and speed of thought like you do I could. It doesn't matter how big you yeah. were, how fast you were, and so that yeah. ev- that's eventually what led to the next stage. 
Yeah, amazing. And, and, and I try to tell people that. That's like one of the most beautiful things about soccer that I would say from an American perspective, it's missed a lot is, is you know, there's athletes and there's some of the greatest athletes in the world who play this game. And then there's not. And they're t- t- probably the same level in this game. You know what I mean? And, and it's just like your your mental muscle is just as important as your, your physicality. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. But that what you're talking about right now leads me to that third thing I got from from you know your 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 story which is kind of the subjective nature of this game and and man like the thought process that a player can look average if he's playing amongst average players or lower but then if he's on a team with better players around him then you start to really see his attributes shine and you see that in and at the highest level i mean you know jude bellingham is probably one of the the biggest uh examples right now um it's it's a very interesting thing um, so I want to talk about kind of the college, you know, just just your now you've been working in it a little bit, the college process. Um, and I had a question for you, which is um, when you're looking at colleges at any level, let's say you're a low level guy just trying to get in or you're a high level guy and you're being highly touted. What would you what would you say is more important? Um, would it be just getting into the best program possible, you know, because maybe those, those programs have the best connections to get you pro? Or is it finding a team that suits you and your style of play? Good question. So in regards specifically to the college recruiting process, right? Yeah. In regards to the college recruiting process, you have to first come to the realization that it's a privilege. So mm. if you go out looking, I'm going to go find a team that plays my style of play. You can't start there, okay? You don't get to play college soccer, period. So you first have to get a team to like you. One, if you want to play college soccer, if you go, hey, I only want to play college soccer, if, if it's beautiful soccer, and you're willing to risk not playing college soccer, then you can have that attitude. But if you yeah. go, no, 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 I want to play soccer in college, you have to start with, I need somebody to like me. It doesn't matter if they play good soccer, if the coach is a dick, whatever. You have to start at that stage because it is yeah. a privilege. And the one thing that I've learned as I've done this in a professional way, like the odds are crazy. You'll have, like I spoke to the gentleman who's in charge of soccer masters today, which is a, a specific ID camp for high academic students. They have thousands, say 3,000 kids a year, or say 2,000 kids a year that will go to their camps. In the entirety of its it's it's um being created it started in 2019 they've only had 180 kids of the thousands go play college soccer so some people will go was that a good camp or a bad camp that's a really good ratio so their camp is actually really good yeah but you know people leave the camp going it was a waste of time well most kids are not going to play college soccer so once my goal is to say to kids like you're not going to play college soccer like they say how difficult it is i go you're not going to play then they go okay well, what do I need to do? No means get to work. So the next follow-up question to you is you go, okay, now you have a team that likes you. That's good. You can play college soccer. But I don't want you to go to a coach that you don't like. I don't want you to go to a coach that plays crappy soccer. It's funny. A kid today saw me jogging around at UCLA, and he's a really good player. I've worked with them in the past. He just left a college because he hated it. And that's miserable. You don't want that experience. So the yeah. two question is, yes, you do need to find a coach that sits your style. And when you talk about the pro game, I mean, that's a huge piece of it in terms of playing minutes and not playing minutes and everything else. So the answer is you need to find your style, which is why you have to start this process so early so you can find that coach. But you have to start with, I just want to get to play college soccer. I'm I'm open to almost anything unless you're willing not to play college soccer, which for kids who want to go to school, like in my case, it was I'm playing college soccer no matter where I go. Mm. Then once I had interest, it was, 
well, I don't want that coach because of X, Y, Z. So I want to, I'm going to leverage that interest to see if I can go find a coach that I like. And the, and, and to that, to your point in the, if you look at the retention rate of college soccer now, like with, with the majority of schools, it's like 30 to 40% leave after their freshman or sophomore year. That's a wow. horrible ratio. That's like if 30% of your workforce just left every year, One that's year, insane. Yeah. And they've spent years recruiting you and giving you money. So the point is, a lot of kids do hate their coaches and leave. And college coaches, as you know, are notorious for being not pleasurable to play for. Yeah, it's tough. So in saying that, you want to find, like, my coach, he's like my second father. He's coming to my wedding. You know, I loved him. Now, Mm. I played a lot. Did that play a role? Sure. But also, like, he was a good human. (laughs) He was a good human being. Even if I didn't, he's a good person. So you do – so my goal, my ultimate motto with the way I work is I I want you to be happy with wherever you go, soccer or otherwise. So if you decide to go to school whatever. So to answer your question, ultimately, you do need to find the coach that likes your style. Otherwise, you will be miserable. But you have to start the process with I want to play college soccer and it's a privilege and I got to start there. I got to find a program that will take me and then go from there. And that makes sense. When I was growing up, college soccer was the only option um, to, to, to like further your career. Obviously, there were opportunities to try to go pro or try to go overseas, but there weren't the, the infrastructure that's probably been kind of erected in, over the last 15 years or so that has really become you know, these MLS and these academy programs and, and these other uh, opportunities for kids, even these other leagues uh, for people to just go and play semi-pro and, and try to get their name out there. Where does college soccer stand now um, in terms of you know, one of the best pathways to become pro? Good question. So let's put it in order. So, and this is my opinion, I'm saying it like a fact, but it's just easier. <laughs> to is it's the college soccer guy. It's a fact. College soccer guy, that's right. <laughs> and and I'm the college soccer guy, and this is what I like to say. I'm the college soccer guy that went pro through college soccer. So you right. can have bias. But the ultimate yeah. goal, and this is true for even when I was playing, like at the time I was part of an academy that was affiliated with Chivas USA. So like, which doesn't exist. So think of LAFC basically. And yeah. a lot, they were a lot worse. But anyways, the point is that at the best way to go pro is you're part of an MLS Next organization or MLS Next affiliate with a pro team you sign a youth academy contract you break into the what now would be either the upsl team they have nowadays which is like um fourth division in american soccer which is affiliated now with like the u16s often they have you play with the men then you'd get put into the 18s 19s which is usually amongst other mls teams and then you'd get put into the second team la galaxy 2 lfc 2 and then you would break into the first team and if you look across the world that system works it is a no-brainer and it's actually Surprising to me that like the Lakers don't adopt a method similar wow. to this. You know, or the you know, because you'd have a kid who could play with LeBron James, then go back to his high school team and you know, you'd learn so much. That's insane. And for those players that like Puig, who plays for the Galaxy, he played with Messi. Okay, then he went back, then he played for you know, it's insane. That that level of growth, it doesn't exist in any other sport, maybe because of the athleticism, but like Phil Foden has been playing with Manchester City's first team since he was 15 or 16 yeah. and obviously the, the player for Barcelona right now he's 16 so anyways the point is that is the best way hands down but that percentage of kids and if you look at the academies in England they'll tell you the same thing less than 1% so it's a small very small so then kids say to me well what about screw America America sucks let's go abroad abroad is the way place to go hmm. and I thought the same thing okay my parents initially were like soccer in America sucks let's send you to college in England to play sport and my parents didn't do nothing about the process. There is no college sport in England like like there is here. It just doesn't exist. There's academies and things that 
we'll say they're the same, but it's not nothing like you know playing. You played Howard like nothing like going against Michigan State. There's nothing like it. So yeah. in saying that, you go okay. Let's go abroad. Well, I learned the hard way when I did play abroad in Sweden as a pro. If you don't have a European passport, when I learned at Fulham, you're not going abroad. That's just it's crazy. They have a kid who's 16 years old, a little bit worse than you, who costs zero dollars and in is is three years younger than you. So why are they gonna bother? So I learned, okay, if you're an American without a European passport, you wanna go pro and you're not gonna sign an MLS next contract with the, an affiliation club, college is the only other way. Mm. That's it. Unless you're gonna go abroad to the fourth division of Gibraltar and work your way up. That's another option where you can play on a tourist visa, hope nobody finds out, then sign a work visa contract later. Sweden, they can, Scandinavia, they do that too. But, and, and if you don't like school, so be it. But here's, a, here's the best example. There's a player that I was on TikTok in my early days, this guy named Logan Phipps. I'm watching him play and I'm like, he's a baller. This kid's really good. And I reach out to him. I go, how come you're not playing college soccer? And he goes, I want to play pro soccer. I go, okay, do you have a European passport? He goes, no. And I go, so where are you playing? He goes, I'm playing UPSL, which is like that fifth division. And in the UPSL, they'll say to you, oh, I'm a coach and I know people in Costa Rica and you know Europe and Croatia and Slovenia and Latvia. I'll take you there. And it sounds really appealing. But again, you don't have a European passport. And if you want to go pro-pro, I'm talking like MLS you know, into the next levels. The and every version is pro, but you know what I mean. Higher levels. Yeah. Best way to get into MLS, and there's even an argument that it's it's better than being part of the youth academy in some ways, is the draft. The draft is wow. the best way. There is no draft in England. There's no oh you have to pick from these 300 teams. They pick from anywhere they want. The draft shouldn't probably exist. I mean I'm glad it does, but like. <laughs> In what world would you say you have to pick from these 300 teams? You have to. Even if you don't want to, you have yeah. to pick. So that you go, okay, the, the the mandate of U.S. soccer has said you have to do the draft. You know, I don't care that there's other kids abroad. You have to have a draft. Every other sport does a draft. We're going to do the draft. So what that means is you've got, you know, in the, in the draft there's like 300 kids that get picked. They have to be picked. And now with USL, when I had USL and when we had USL, there and today there's like, 30, 40 teams. When my first year, there was no USL one. So there was 15 teams and that was it, which was better than the years prior where there was five. So right. he plays UPSL. I go, look, you're not going to Slovenia. You're not going to Latvia. Why don't you play college soccer? You go to college soccer and you do really well. You can go play USL two. USL two is how I went pro. If you play college soccer and you don't make it to go pro as a junior, go back to college and try again your senior year. No big deal. So eventually what we did with him is we sent him to junior college, which was a step backwards. And then he just got signed by Georgia Southern, which is a D1 school. Yeah. And now they're going to play against the big boys. And if he does well, he could get drafted. And if he doesn't get drafted, during the summertime, he's going to go play USL 2. And he's going to go play for Des Moines Menace or Thunder Bay or Seattle Sounders or New York Red Bulls affiliate teams. And then he's going to try out for those teams. And that's how he's going to go pro. And I think if you're an American, that's the best way. And here's the argument that it's better. The draft is even better than signing a youth academy contract. We have players, when I was at the Kickers, who sign youth academy contracts for USL teams or MLS X teams. They get put into the system. To break into the first team in the MLS is not is difficult, especially if the coach is going, look, I'm just going to pick a number 10 from El Salvador who's been playing in Bayern Munich's youth academy for however long or, or has a career with Boca Juniors for six years or whatever it is. It is right. a difficult thing to do. So 
if you kill it in college your freshman year, you're going to get drafted to a first-year contract with an MLS team, and now you get to be playing with the MLS team. So you automatically get to train with them. So that's why the draft actually can be better. It's a really hard thing to decide for a young kid because they want to go pro. They don't want to go to school. We had two kids at the Richmond Kickers. They were saying, like, do we go to college? Do we stay here? Do we go to college? Do we stay here? And I was like, look, if you stay here and you kill it in the USL, you kill it. Could you get signed by an MLS team? It doesn't happen very often, but yeah, it could. Or maybe an MLS 2 will pick you up, an MLS Next Pro, which is what happened to one of the kids. That's great. Good job. But had he been the little, the big fish in the little pond, a.k.a. college soccer, probably would have got drafted. And a great example, Bender, whose brother and I played together years before he got drafted number one by Charlotte a year ago, he could have done all those options. And he went to college, got drafted, killed it in college for Maryland. Now he plays, you know, for Charlotte Independence every weekend. And he didn't go play USL Academy or any of those MLS Next things. He just got drafted. So, yeah. you know, that's it's tough. It's a tough thing. No, it is It is it. tough. Yeah. It, no, and, and, and kind of to, to build on that, because the, you, are, you are saying something that seems a little uh, tougher for me to fathom, just my own college experience understanding it. There are so many college teams and multiple college divisions. So when you say kill it, what exactly does that entail? Like, do you have to be in do, – does your team have to make the tournament? Do you have to be a top 100 player in college? Um, and, yeah, explain that a little bit. Yeah, good question. So traditionally, and the rules are shifting, but when I say kill it, NCAA tournaments are pretty much a must. Your yes. team has to be going to the NCAA tournament. The next That's the exposure thing, part, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, how the draft works is the player, the coaches vote on who goes to the draft. So basically, they'll say this player played really well against us. I think he's the best. One point for him. Whoever has the most points within each conference, which even shows you it's not perfect. Because what if you play in the best conference and you don't get as many marks? But had you gone to the Horizon League conference or the Summit League, maybe you would have gotten ten marks, you know, and been able yeah. to go to the draft or the combine, as they would put it. So it's not perfect system. But the answer to the question basically, kill it means within your league. In college soccer, if you score ten goals and get seven assists, that would be killing it because there's not that many games. So. Yeah. You know, that would be like, that'd be like, yeah, you killed it and good job. And now you're going to be potentially drafted. The other thing too, like, you know, I, I, you've seen my content. Like I go watch a lot of games. There's a player on UCLA right now, plays as a right back. He's not going to score any goals probably or one or two. He's great. I think he's probably a pro player, but you know, I'm not coaching an MLS. So who am I to say, but that's the beauty of being where we are. We can say whatever we want, but in saying that, um, you know, uh, I think he's really, really good. He does. I think he deserves certainly a professional trial, like at some point. But anyways, the point to your end, killing it would be, and that's just as, a, as an attacking player, as a defensive player. And this is also what a coach's job is, by the way. A coach's job is to go, I watched him, good or bad stats or whatever, he's pro level. That's, the, right. that's what they're supposed to be able to do. That's their job. So he's supposed to look and watch. And the other day, for fun, Jermaine Jones, who played in MLS quite some time ago, yeah. he was at the UCLA game the other day. And I'm like, I went up to him and I was like, his kids happened to go to school in Malibu. And I was like, um, I know your kids. And what are you doing here at UCLA game? He goes, I'm recruiting for the under 20 national team at UCLA's game. Wow. Yeah. That's right. He works at the U.S. Soccer Federation now. Exactly. Wow. So, I was like, that's pretty wild that you're at a big, you know, they were playing against um, San Bernardino, I think, on the day. Um, Mm. 
or Bakersfield. I think it was Bakersfield. Bakersfield. And so, so you go Bakersfield versus UCLA. Like, who are you recruiting? You know, who would you think? But, you know, college soccer, that's where I go back to my argument. I go, well, that's a pretty big deal that he's yeah. at a college soccer game. And if you're playing on the other team, maybe now you get recruited whatever. And, you know, in, in the end, they're going to pick – nowadays with the, how many kids are abroad playing at such a high level, college soccer is a difficult place to get – pick for the national team but jordan morris you know once upon a time that's what he did when he's playing for yep. stanford so um yeah, yeah. that's what it means no makes sense and, and 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 touching on that if you get to the mls and you start doing well in the mls you know alfonso davies like you can you can find your way anywhere so yeah i mean maybe maybe there are those direct pathways those uh you know old school people talking to me about generation adidas getting into national camps but but these pathways actually do work and you can go in and kill it uh, real quick. The last little touch on on college that I'm trying to like really understand in my head is is the different divisions. I've actually seen uh, some players coming out of D1 schools, good players, well coached. But but then I see some players coming out of D3 schools who seem like unbelievable and maybe even D3 schools are recruiting kids from like Brazil or wherever. Um, what is what is the difference in level for you and and does that even matter in in the globe in the college grand scheme of things? So like if you took the best division one team, call it Washington, who's number one, and you took the worst division three team, that's a really big gap. It's humongous. But you're not usually comparing the best versus the worst. So then right. if you shrink it to like normal groups, the discrepancy is really small. It's mm. very small. Obviously, you figure, look, I remember in college having players, like we had players at the pro level who came from D3 who are ballers. And you're like, yeah. you could have played Division One, and you would have been the best player within that unit. And for whatever reason, subjective soccer, you ended up in that position. The difficult part for me is – and this is a little bit biased to what I do is people often say like, is, is college soccer worth it? Like is division three worth it? Is it just going to be horrible soccer on a field that Sunday league? I think people kind of forget, you know, these, these colleges are funded by really big donors and these division three schools that don't have American football, put all their money into soccer. And mm. so if you go to like Puget sound, which is where my brother went, he had a world-class facility with turf field, grass field, ice bath gym just for soccer so mm -hmm. you go okay you want to be a pro soccer player for four years like that's cool so division three soccer is amazing now the discrepancy if you take like cal state la who won the tournament two years ago two of those kids got signed by lafc so they're obviously really good yeah. and they could have gone to a d1 school but maybe cal state la gave them a full ride and they were going to told to play every minute so that's where they went to your point about the internationals Internationals can come over. They have their own issues to get recruited. But like Marshall, which is a D1 program, 99% of their kids are not from the United States. Right. They won it recently, right? Yeah, they, they won, won 2020. Like out of yeah. nowhere, kind of. And they play yeah. really good soccer. And they've got like, I think, one or two kids that are from the area. And everybody else is a freshman at 20 years old. So like, yeah. that's their method. And, you know, people won't like it. But the guy, the coach's job is to win games at the end of the day. So yeah. there you have So... To your point, there is a discrepancy. I would just say, like, that's why, in my perspective, I'm imploring people, like, if you start the process earlier with video, researching schools, going to events, working your way up the club ladder, you just have an exponentially much more likelier chance of going to a quote-unquote title school, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, than you would if you wait longer and longer. And then the big thing is, like, look, at the end of it all, and this is somebody, you've played a high level, I played at a high level, 
you know, you realize, and this is hard to tell my young kids, like, at the end of the day, most of your life is not spent playing soccer. You're doing other things while you're playing soccer. You're making friends, everything else. Mm. College soccer is like a really special social experiment, as I'm sure you would agree. You know, never are you going to have so many good-looking people in one place who all play sport. You know, it just never happens like that again. So it's, you know, from that perspective, it's really special. So the discrepancy in levels, it's minor. I, I want to address what it's difficult for me to explain too. Like take a D2 kid and a D1 kid. Like why is that kid D2 and why is that kid D1? Um, I would say if I was going to say like what's the biggest difference, traditionally speaking, D1 players are more athletic. That is like yeah. pretty much across the board. You take Division three players and, you know, I work traditionally with like high academic Division three players. That's like my a lot of my niche. And we do D1 players too, but that's who tend to att- I attract. And when I look at those players, some of them who are going to the top D1s, like we had a kid commit to Tufts. Tufts is number one. They're amazing. That kid's a D1 player. Like hand down, Division one player. Absolutely. But Tufts have an amazing education and they're going to go to the NCAA tournament and they're going to do better than had he gone to probably SIUE, even though SIUE right. done good on their part. But then yeah. you take a, a D3 player who's going to go to Sarah Lawrence, which is like a smaller D3 school. You know, that kid is probably considerably less athletic than the kid who's getting recruited to SIUE, for example, or Butler or Loyola, for that matter. And then the last thing they I'll move on is proximity is really important, you know, because – club coaches know each other they can see a kid way more often so if they are recruiting american kids like where are you nearby like if you live in malibu pepperdine's the only school there and they only have girls soccer so they have yeah. that done where's the next school then you got cal lutheran or an lmu and ucla and what club team are you playing for you play for la surf or santa monica surf or la breakers which are all teams locally you know you're going to get to be seen a little bit more galaxy lafc those are the easy ones you know so to that end uh, that's where the discrepancy is. And so if you want to make a difference, video is really key. Get yourself in front of them in mm. person. And then soccer-wise, if you're like, I wasn't the most athletic, so like Notre Dame was never going to recruit me or Michigan, none of those. So I went to – it's true. I went to a smaller traditional D1 school who played really good soccer. And like I said, we ended up doing well. So then you want to find the right coach. And there you go. It goes on forever. And I agree with you. I think uh, I think the college experience itself was um... – is is just amazing and so to your to your point i i I, i'm not i don't want to speak for you but even if i had the opportunity i think to go pro and again college was i i you know this is a whole different podcast maybe this is a book about kind of the stories and and understanding how the game worked and and how the system worked in college but if i had an opportunity to uh to quit and go to college um and just be there or continue and try to go pro I, it was a very tough decision for me, actually. And that's, you know, that's just how college is. So from what I'm getting from you and from my own experiences, I will say, and, and you can correct me and if you feel differently, that college is about exposure. It's about getting you into other circumstances. F- really quickly, what from a development standpoint do you think college added to your career and to, to careers of kids you've been seeing and helping uh, along the way? Yeah. And I pushed my other meeting back because I wanted to actually bring that point up, which is, you know, especially with what you're talking about traditionally in your podcast, the pay to play system in the youth soccer and how to get better. The system is not good. It's not perfect. It's not even good for sure. But if you then say, okay, America is not good. Okay. Then go to any country like Nigeria or Ghana. You know, that is a tradition. That is right to dream is like the academy. That's really remarkable there. There's plenty of others, but right to dream is really good. They're looking at the continent of Africa to pick 
30 players a year. Okay, those percentages are outrageous. Yeah, That's a tough system, okay? What we have in the United States, while financially it's not ideal, if you make a highlight video and you identify the right ID camps, playing college soccer is not out of the question, mm. which could then lead to the next level. So to that end, what I would say is, you know, the people often they go, uh, MLS Next is pay to play and uh, development. I mean, the, the the pillars of development from a American's perspective that are lacking is number one, you do the technical piece, you know, go hit the ball against the wall. You can do private coaches, whatever. But you as a child like me, I had the ball everywhere I went. That's number one, technical. Next piece of that is soccer IQ. So you go like, I need to watch soccer or I need somebody to watch soccer with me that knows what they're talking about. My dad, love him forever, but he never played soccer. Now, he was a good athlete, played basketball, so he did give me insight. But, you know, theoretically, if my kid is watching soccer with me, I watch. And now my father's an expert because he watches with me. So to that end, you know, you need the soccer IQ. Then the next bit is strength. You know, I would call it injury prevention. If you're going to be fast, yes, I'm sure you can always get faster. But if you have to choose between getting faster and getting more technical, I will always personally tell you, go get more technical. That's just Mm -hmm. my philosophy because soccer works that way. And if the, the the percentages of increasing your speed versus improving your technique, you can increase your speed to here. You can improve your technique to like an inevitable degree. So it's just if you only have so many hours in the day, that's where I would spend it. Then the next piece is if that's injury prevention, then you have nutrition, you know, eat like a pro, you know, so you can be fit like a pro. So those are the pillars. But then after that, when it comes to the recruiting, which is like the politics, what you have to say as a parent, as a young parent who maybe listens to you and is like, it's a, you know, it sucks. The system sucks, et cetera, over and over again. You go, okay, it sucks. What are you going to do? You're going to just keep saying it sucks? It's not changing. That's for sure. It is not changing. And in the only way it could really, really change, and this is actually what I think people don't know, the only way it could change, it's not even actually money. You would need a plethora of what we would call first teams that in every town there's because the United States is so big. Like in Malibu, there would need to be two professional soccer teams. And then in LA, there would need to be 30 professional soccer teams. doesn't have to be MLS level, could be lower. But the reason that would change everything is because when a youth kid, instead of having to travel to God knows where to go play soccer, or Atlanta is a great example. You only have Atlanta United. There's no other, there's UPSL teams or USL teams, but there's three of them. There's a million, two million people that live there. So the only way to do it is if you had, if you had a ton more teams, and this is actually to give credit to the UPSL or leagues like it, you have those teams have a first team. And then those first teams are a mix of former pros, former college guys, and youth kids. And then what you would have is the opportunity for young kids to play with older kids earlier, which is what they do at Fulham. They take a 13-year-old, put him with the 16s, back to the 13s, go to the 18s. Now he's 15, now go to the first team, then go back. That's how you get better. There was a player there when I was there. He was 13 when I got there. He was 16 when I left. And he eventually signed for Manchester City. His name is Patrick Roberts. And the transition he took from 13 years old to 18 was was he went from a tactic technically – average 13 year old to dribbling like Messi. It was insane. And it was because he played twice a day, but mainly he was with older kids, younger kids. And the the concept of dribbling too much usually comes from, you have a kid who's better than the kids around him and he can dribble. So he does, no big deal. You're supposed to take that kid, put him with the older kids where he cannot do that. And then he learns Mbappe. He learns when to pass because Mbappe can still dribble past everybody. But what makes Mbappe and Neymar and Messi so good is they choose when to dribble and choose when to pass. And they have both. And you get that by playing with older kids. So anyways, to that, because you have to depend on your technique and your IQ instead of your kick and run. 
Totally. To totally. the last piece, I would just add to that: if if there were enough first teams in every region, then you would not have to drive so far. The level would get better, which would also add you need better coaches. You know, not you need every coach really to go look. We're playing out of the back. We're gonna figure out how to do it. We're gonna do this. We're not just gonna play to win. Now, yeah. saying all of those things is nice and would be perfect, but that's not how the system works. So until the system gets to that point, you have to say, and this is really for the parents and the kids, to go, okay, the system's messed up, da-da-da. What am I going to do with my finances? What am I going to do with my ability? And there's plenty to do, especially now. You can make a highlight video and send it to anybody. You know, mm. you can make a highlight video in your backyard and go, that kid's got good technique. What's the club team nearby? make a video again go to a tryout like you can do we've got a kid right now i own a upsl team um so when i say oh. still playing i yeah. own a upsl team now and i play for the team as well and my brother and i own it together so to your point about the system not being good i've gone my own way and i'm doing it myself creating your own club yeah exactly so to that you know we have kids that we find as we play soccer and this one kid's driving back and forth and he's going to get a lot better but the upsl has no exposure to college so it's not it's not really good for the recruiting process. So I tell them I'll be the first. You got to go play club. You got to go play MLS next, ECNL. You got to go do that. But I guess to your point, because I love your I love what you're doing, is for the people that are like it sucks. Yes, it sucks. But there's still to your point. There's still bricks. Maybe there's a bunch of gaps in between. But there still are bricks to get in a direction. Even if financially you can't afford it, high school soccer, which is traditionally free. You can make a highlight video, and that video, assuming you do well on the field, which is yeah. in your own control, go practice, etc. You can go play college soccer still for sure. Yeah, you definitely for can. Sure. For sure, you hear from the college soccer guy. You can play college soccer. You got to keep playing. I think I I got to hear more about your UPSL team. We'll talk about that later because that's that's really interesting. And I do I I am really um, impressed by them, the levels that you can play at, and you can kind of join a team at any age, right? So to that point of playing with older guys, stronger guys, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, post-college players on that team trying to find ways to go pro. And if you're 16 years old and you can find a way on a team, man, that could really help development wise. But then you also have to piece it together by playing in, in places where you can get exposure or recording yourself and sending it like uh, Zev did so diligently uh, growing up. So speaking of highlight tapes, this is the, this is the last thing I want to do on this show. Um, I, I, I have my own high school highlight tape from 2007. And I would like none other than the college soccer guy to to, to watch and and rate it. I want you to be as as um, as blunt as possible because obviously this is in the past. I have no, I can't change a thing. Yeah, I definitely want to see your video. Let me see your video. Find me on YouTube at Eat Pray Ball to watch along with us. Oh, a little there we go. A little intro. Intro is good. We like seeing a little personality. That's huge. That's way ahead of your time. That's exactly. We did something. <laughs> I did something very similar. Um, definitely way if I had a time little artsy dartsy trophies that you won what position did you enjoy playing in college the most so this was the interesting thing I played probably an 8 to 10 uh, growing up that was where I probably was the best but I was told as a kid or I was told that I would be highly or more highly recruited as a center back so I took three or four games in high school and I asked my coach to play center back and center defensive mid and put this tape together based on that. And did you, in college, where did you play for the most part? Uh, in college, I played center back my first two years and then I played striker my last two years. And you look like a striker to me. Year. 
You look like a striker to me, for sure. I'm sure that's what you want to hear anyways. It was what I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Like, this dribbling moment. So let's say I saw this video. First of all, coaches traditionally like circles. What is fantastic about your video is we know which one you are, evidently. Now, <laughs> in your first couple clips, we would have liked the circle, just maybe for the first few. Yeah. Uh, we also do something called like a self-interview, which you kind of did a version of it, the juggling. We would just would have had you say hello. I know it sounds bad, but like, you know, the way you look, where you're from, you know, coaches are looking at those things going, all you'd have to do is speak in English. And as an American, they would have been, even though it says you're an American, what if your parents were from somewhere else, they didn't want to know you don't have to take the TOEFL and that you speak mm -hmm. English and all those small things. And then they go, oh, I mean, he's from Atlanta probably, but you know, there's a lot of immigrants in Atlanta. He's a really big, big guy. Where big guy. So your feet also are great. They're super soft. So like, also, I know this era now. I would go. I would look at this and go. Definitely D one qualities, especially between your feet are soft, athletic. Your opponents, some of them look like they suck, which is a problem when you're getting the video. But you can't control that, right? You can only do what you can do. But you look the part. The only thing really is, and this is really a bonus, is you could put a coach on video, kind of overlaying his voice, going, "He's a great kid. He works mm. hard." We like his ability. He can play center back and striker just because it says, oh, this coach who's legit is also giving us advice. It's not just you. And the problem we find in the recruiting process is your coach is like, I'll help you. I'll help you. And you go, okay, coach, what will you do for me? And he goes, well, just tell me what you need. And then you go, well, could you call this coach, this coach, this coach, this coach, this coach? And the coach is like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. And then they don't. Not that they don't want to. They're just busy. They have their own jobs. Or they're like, I called him. He never got back to me. What do you want me to do? I can't keep calling him forever. So instead, we put him on video, and then we can just send the coach's face everywhere. We're in control. Wow. We can just send yeah. this coach's face everywhere. And we find that to be really, really impactful with Fark. We had one kid. He was playing MLS Next for FC Cincinnati, right? Does or Minnesota United. Doesn't get better than that. But he wasn't playing as much as he wanted because the first team players kept coming down to play with his MLS next U19s. So he was really good, but he wasn't playing a lot of minutes. So we put his coach on video saying, hey, this kid's a baller, you know, but he's fighting with an MLS player. Just bad luck, but he can play college. Boom, got himself a couple D1 offers and he's at LaSalle now. So wow. that was like because, and the coach had called coaches, but didn't reach him. He was a British coach. He didn't care about college. He didn't know about college soccer because that's what happens sometimes at the pro level. And once he had that, so look, I would give your video. I'd give if I, what I do with my kids. I go on a scale of being the S, a, best video I've ever seen, A, and F being the worst. As a templated video, it's a C plus. Missing self-interview, coach interview, no circle. For a soccer video, it's D1 level, and that's cool. And I, Wow, that is cool. Yeah. I was not – I was actually hoping you would say differently, you know, I, but, but – and you, you know, you real people know soccer, and I was able to play. I knew. Your I knew feet, what I was look, I'm looking at your feet game. over and over again. Even if your opponents aren't great, which you can't control, you have super soft feet. Matt, right. I have to run to my next event. My man, Zev. We'll talk soon. I still want to hear about. I wouldn't even talk about you because you're too nice of a guy. But I really. No, love we'll, def we'll definitely catch up. Where just for before you leave, where can I have my people come find you? Yeah. Uh, come see you if they want college soccer advice, anything. Yeah, if you just look up college soccer guy anywhere on Google or best on TikTok is where I'm most popular. On Instagram, it's college soccer guy. And if you have any questions, if you DM me and you say like we heard you on Mr. Marshall's podcast or on the Eat Pray Football pre Eat Pray Ball, then you know I'll, we can do a free call, no problem. DM him. Zeb Football. He's the man. College soccer guy. I appreciate you having on the podcast, man. My we'll pleasure. I'll talk to you soon.